have our quiz coming up, Laws, and take it away with the quiz. Okay, the f- next question for the I quiz. I like your jingle, by the way. I think yeah. we should just record it and use it. I could probably like play the guitar. I've got it sitting beside me. I could, yeah. I could come up with something. A couple of chords. It'd be, it'd be cool. Um, what party happens the day after Passover? If you know, 0491-064-669. Which party happens the day after Passover? And, of course, if you get it correct, you will go into the draw to win the Andrews Study Bible. Expensive, amazing, awesome, great, incredible Bible, which we said before. Like, if someone wants to give you a free, expensive Bible, you should take it. Yes, you should. Because not only will it be a blessing to yourself, but it potentially could be a blessing to someone else. A blessing to lots of people for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. That's right. Especially especially if you read that Bible Mm -hmm. and you follow what that Bible says, then it will be a blessing to you and everyone else around you. Definitely. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And again, that clue or question was, what party happens the day after Passover? We also want to remind you guys, if you want the terms and conditions, you know, you might be like, oh, well, maybe I want to win every single prize every week, or how can I hack Faith FM to rig the prize? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of wacky way uh, you guys want to come up with to maybe try and break the quiz or get as many prizes as possible. We don't know. We trust you guys because we love you. Um, but you can head to our website. Uh, you can head to faithfm.com.au and see our terms and conditions for the quiz there. Fantastic stuff. All right, let's go to our text messages. Let's find out what you had to say in the first half of the show, and then we're going to find out what you have to say in the second half of the show. Uh, this one came through from Braden. He says, I'm sure it won't be long before all countries will be in the religious freedom watch list. Yep. And it's kind of like, well, you know, so many, you know, we look at Canada and we think, wow, they're going to put Canada in the religious freedom watch list and Ohio wants to do this because they border Canada and they trade with Canada. And they're worried about Canada. But have they seen what happens in Australia? Mm. Yeah. Dude, actually, you know, soon the, the religious freedom watch list won't be a watch list for countries against religious freedom, but countries that are for religious freedom. That's going to be the watch list. And people that are for it's religious It's really freedom. interesting to see how society is changing, particularly when you understand Revelation chapter 13 and how religious freedom will be stripped from the world just before Jesus comes mm. back. And we're going to be on the top of that list. Faith FM is going to be at the top of the religious freedom watch list. Yeah, I think so. All right. Rats don't just survive. They thrive. Mm. And I would say that has a lot to do with how much edible rubbish we produce. Yeah, totally. Yes. Wow. It's a bit of a, a worry that. Anyway, um, and Lawson, another one here. I'm shocked. You shouldn't be worrying about quotas. Uh-huh. You should be worrying about driving safely and legally. <laughs> I'm trying to do that, guys. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that quotas do send out the wrong message, though, as far mm-hmm. as road safety goes. It's just you know. Yeah. Oh, because ultimately it shows like the, the the purpose of road safety isn't to make people safe; it's to make money. Yeah. All right. Then we got this one from Scott says, "And the glory of the Lord shines upon Toowoomba, Southeast Queensland, and the east coast of Australia." Amen. That's from Scott. Is he saying that the glory of the Lord is already shining there, or that it? Needs I would say to so. I'm just wondering what the. I'm, I'm not sure what the context is. So Scott, tell us what the context is. But praise God, that's all I can well, say. Well, as as a New South Welshman, you know, yes. as you know, quickly approaching the state of origin, he's talking about Toowoomba and Southeast Queensland. I think the glory of the Lord can hide from there for just a little bit until we win state of origin. The glory of the Lord's not going to have anything to do with choosing sides in state of origin. <laughs> 
God enjoys it when we do our best at what we do, and he has yep. given us the ability to do our best at what we do, and he doesn't influence when we do our best you know, to do what we do in those kind of contexts. I do not believe. As as long as New South Wales wins. That's, yep. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what have we got here? This, is, this one says, rats as first responders in earthquakes. What a great idea. There is basically nowhere they could not get in. They could make an industry out of this, exporting them worldwide. And I think we're going to see more of this coming out of Africa uh, as Africa starts to really develop and to spool up. You know, we've seen how it happened in China. We're seeing it happen in India. And Africa is the next big continent that is going to spool up and start to really be leading the world in lots of areas. So, yeah, watch this space. Your Mm. lifetime, my lifetime, we will see it happening. The church sitting in Nigeria, every two hours a Christian is killed in Nigeria. Say no more. Mm. And this is the problem. We we get so horrified when somebody is killed for their faith in Australia or in or the United States when there's a church shooting or a school shooting or whatever it might be. And the reason we get so horrified is it's not happening every two hours. Mm. When it's happening every two hours, it's like, eh, another one. Fight for schools, malnutrition in America. Biden is totally controlled by demons. I wonder. <laughs> well, let's not get political here. Uh, I wonder how long he will burn in the flames of the fire of hell in the last judgment. (laughs) Wow, don't hold back. Um, And and having said that, you know, this is clearly a demonic act. There's no question about that. Yeah. We were actually talking in the break. The reality is this is not partisan. Yeah. Because either side of politics is going to do terrible things. And we know that because of what the Bible says. Mm. So there's not a partisan issue, but is calling out something that is wrong when you see it as being wrong. Mm. We were talking in the break, like research would lead you to believe and like the science and the data on exposing kids to this kind of thing. It's just, it's like just, just making predators. Yes. Like it, this is terrible. Like this is. And this is, and this is interesting because the highest, the, 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 the research indicates that the highest uh, indicator, pre-indicator of somebody who will become a predator is somebody who is exposed to sexual contact, you know, as a minor at a particular age and then they fixate on that age and they never grow mm. past that age because that was where their first, you know, contact was. Yeah. And so if you're going to let boys into girls' toilets, bathrooms, mm. change rooms, etc., yeah, you're raising a generation of predators. Yeah. Yep. That is scary. Ah, uh, Canada and Trudeau, another new world order boy going going power to the beast. And whale fossils in the desert. Must be a coincidence, can't be the flood. If they open their eyes, they may actually see the truth or is it that they know but they love darkness more than light? Mm. You can fool most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool all the people all of the time. Well, the Bible actually has the answer to that particular question. Let me just see if I can over to it here very quickly. Um, in fact, I'll pull it up right here are on you, my screen. Are you looking, at, looking for Genesis? No, I'm looking for Second Peter. Oh, there you go. Second Peter. I, ha- I was already in Genesis. Uh huh. Let me go to Second Peter chapter three. Uh huh. And let me read you what it says right here. Okay, uh huh. Here it is. Uh, knowing this first, that shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts, mm. saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for this they are willingly ignorant of. Mm. Willingly ignorant. 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, wherefore the world that then was was overflowed with water and perish. Oh, dude, we could... Willingly ignorant, we could, says. We could have conversations all day about experiences uh, with people. And, and I think, you know, we, could, we at times go through this too. It's just like the human pride problem of like thinking that we are smarter than we are. And, and that ultimately leading to illogical outcomes, like people who claim, oh, yes, like this is all based on, you know, our, our way of thinking is based on logic and your way of thinking is based on faith, yet they come to such illogical outcomes in the face of evidence. It's crazy. Like, it's yeah. it's crazy. But, yeah, it's like, oh, how did the whales get to the desert? Well, they, they must have had wings. And they like sandy places. Yeah, you know. Uh, that's that's how they got to the top of Mount Everest. Maybe they swam really fast and beached themselves a long way inland. <laughs> All right, let's get into our Bible study. Uh, let's go to Genesis chapter thirty-seven because this is an amazing passage. We're going to pick up where uh, we're going to we're going to backtrack a little bit this morning when Lord stops laughing at me, <laughs> making jokes about beaching whales and beaching themselves <laughs> in the, in the middle desert, of Sahara. It's like sandy, like the beach, where they just. They're, I'm just thinking like a, a whale swims so fast that it hits one of the sand dunes. And just like jumps into the desert. That's it would be it would, if it if it if it swam fast enough to make it that far inland, it would be vaporized the moment it hit sand. <laughs> That's so funny. Not the vaporizing part, but I was just that just came up in my head. Just no, the, a whale just, yeah. swimming across land, and I it's can't. He's got, got a mental picture now. <laughs> So funny. All right, so we're in Genesis 37. It's truly beach days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Genesis 37. Okay, so where are we going to pick this story up? Let's pick it up in about verse 18. So Genesis 37, 18. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Genesis 37 and verse 18, the Bible says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But... When Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Okay, let's stop there. Ah. Let's stop there for a moment. Okay, so let's let's think about this because Joseph has had this dream. He's the young kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's him him and Benjamin are the young kids. He's wearing the coat of many colours, which signifies that uh, his father has already stated he is going to be the one who receives the birthright. Yes. He is going to be the one who receives the vast bulk of the wealth and possessions of Jacob. He is going to be the one who is going to be the ruler. And then, of course, he's had these dreams in which he's like, yeah, I dreamed that you guys would all bow down to me. And he's just like what, a 17-year-old kid who's just way too spoiled and way too much of a brat to be able to know when to keep his mouth shut, doesn't know how to read the room, even says the same thing to his parents. And Jacob's like, you know, this is going a bit far. What do you think? I'm going to give you the birthright now, and you're going to be in charge of me now, and you're going, to, and I'm going to be bowing down to you. Mm. You know, this is this is just unreasonable. <laughs> Jacob's like, oh, you think I'm going to give you the birthright now? You're not even half blind. You can't even deceive me out of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, and, and you know, when you when you put this whole story together, where you know Jacob, uh, sorry, Joseph heads off to meet with his brothers, and he's all excited to be looking for his brothers. He is so naive. Yeah. 
He is so incredibly naive and self-unaware and unaware of the environment that he is in. Mm. It's almost like this guy is somewhere, you know, on the spectrum somewhere, and mm. he just doesn't. It, there's, there's things there's things here that are just not clicking. But it's interesting. And maybe he was because he becomes a genius and down in in in, in you know Pharaoh uh, with Pharaoh in Egypt, and maybe maybe that's a part of the story. We do, we don't know. Well, it's interesting that he goes to meet his brothers in the field. So they're working and he's not. He's not. He's he's just, just he's chilling. Just, he's just gone on holiday. Yeah. Yeah, and that would rub them. So here he comes walking across the fields wearing his wearing the symbol that they are not going to receive the birthright. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get much. He's wearing that symbol across the fields as he come wandering across to his brothers, and of course they see him and it's like, you know what? If he dies, the birthright is ours. Mm. And you can imagine that this would start with, you know, the children of Leah's handmaid because they mm. are the ones who will receive the least, mm. and of course work up to Reuben, who being the oldest. Has the one is the one who is actually going to receive you know something significant. Mm. So if you look at what happened when you know for instance when Abraham died, the birthright went to Isaac, and Isaac got the bulk of it. But he didn't get everything. Mm. You know Midian he got a bunch of stuff. You know Keturah's children they got a bunch of things, and were sent to you know different parts of the world. But Isaac got to stay and to keep the bulk. Mm. And so you know Reuben's not going to go away out of this empty-handed as the as the oldest as the firstborn. Mm. And so he's a little bit less motivated than, say, for instance, the children of Leah's maid. Mm. Also, he's the oldest. Yes. Like, like, a little bit more mature. That definitely. Like, all of these guys are adults. I, I don't know. I, I've had the picture in, uh, of this story in my head. Obviously, like, I've read these passages. I know how old they are, but it can be easy to maybe think of these guys as young because it's, oh, it's, Jacob's kids and his brothers, but Joseph is the youngest at 17. Like these guys are all adults, like 40s. And so their scheme, they're, they're, they're talking business. Like, you know, this isn't like a Lord of the Flies situation where there are a bunch of young kids. No, no, these, this is like very premeditated and very much from a position of, of gaining a lasting advantage in life, you know, by, by taking this birthright. And some of them clearly have a criminal mindset. Mm. You know, when you look at Simeon and Levi that went and killed the Shechemites, yeah. these are people who have no regard for human life mm. whatsoever at all. And if they will kill the Shechemites just like that, they will certainly kill Joseph just like that as well. Yeah. And I think Reuben recognizes this and he's like, ooh, okay. Yikes. Yeah, let's not do that. Mm. Let's throw him in the pit, leave him here in the pit. And then they find themselves in a win-win situation. So let's continue on here. Uh, we did read this yesterday. We're going to read it again, but there are more things that we need to talk about. Mm. So, so when Joseph arrived... oh. The the line that I missed here is that it says, um, you know, why would we kill him? This is Reuben's reply. Let's just throw him in the es- empty system that we don't have blood on his hands. Um, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Yes. So we know that, yeah, Reuben, again, he's less motivated, but he's actually seeking Joseph's best interest here. Um, and it's he cares, interesting. And he cares for his father. It's interesting. The one who is most worthy to receive the birthright and who is being the most stitched up 
uh, as a result of Joseph's existence here is the one who is the most sympathetic. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really powerful. But it continues in verse 23, and it says, So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. Uh, now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then... Just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph, uh, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Okay, so they stumble across a win-win situation here, yeah, don't like they? extortion. That's, that's the way. It's like if we kill him, we gain nothing. Mm. So much better to sell him. And this is this highlights, you know, one of the parts, one of the major issues of, you know, ancient and medieval culture, mm. and that was that in any military encounter, the most valuable plunder was uh, human resources, mm. and uh, <laughs> and not not people who go and get their degree to no, organize people. We mean human no. resources, as in literal people, people that you can buy and sell. Mm. Because this is a resource that you that can travel with you. This is a resource that, you know, can be a long-term investment for the buyer. This is a resource that you can turn into a lot of wealth. Mm. And so when they talk about plundering a city, they would take, yeah, all of the movable wealth and all of that kind of thing from the city, but you can only take so much with you unless you have a bunch of human resources. So if you can capture the population of the city, particularly the women and children, then you can take away the gold, then you can take away the possessions, then you can take away all the stuff that is in the city because you can load it on the backs of you know, the women and the children and the men that you've captured as slaves and you actually now have a means of transporting your wealth. And then once they have transported your wealth back to your home city, then you turn them into wealth because you sell them. Mm. And so human resources was by far the, the, the biggest tradable commodity that there was in the ancient world, and so they've recognised this and like, why would we kill him? Then we've just got to go back and cover up a murder. You know, if we sell him, at least we don't have to cover up a murder. We, we, we don't know what happened to him. Mm. Uh, and we get money. Yep, we get paid. Get paid. Mm. Okay, so who are they sold to? Are they sold to Midianites or Ishmaelites. They're sold to Ishmaelites who are also Midianites. How does that work? Um, okay, so who are the Ishmaelites first? They're this descendants of Ishmael. Uh, in cousins. Cousins. Yep. Yep. Who are the Midianites? Also, their cousins. Also, their cousins. It says descendants of Keturah, mm. Abraham and Keturah. Mm. And so it's like, oh, here comes the cousins. We'll sell them to our cousins. Yeah, obviously they're not close. No, because the cousins, well, you know, you never know. Maybe the cousins did know what was going on. Maybe they didn't know what was going on, but they just think they're buying a slave and getting him at a bargain price. They're going to take him down to Egypt. They'll get four times for that for him down there, and this is a good, this is a good sale for them. Mm. It's a great opportunity. Maybe they know what's going on. It's like, man, we'll be complicit in that. Why not? We want s- we'll have slaves. But what's interesting is that when you study the history of the Midianites, people have become a, you know, historians that are a little bit confused over who they might be. Because here you have Ishmaelites, who are Arabs, mm-hmm. uh, who are called Midianites. Mm. 
But then you go down to the story of Moses, and Moses marries Zipporah, who is an Ethiopian, mm. and her father is a high priest of Midian. Mm. So you have Ethiopians who are Midianites. Mm. A lot of scholars have concluded that the Midianites, that the the thing that bound the Midianites together was religion rather than tribe. Yeah. You know, clearly they come from you know one of the sons of Keturah, and there is a tribe there, but there was a religion that they had in common that was actually what classed them as being Midianites, much like we have you know Jewish people today. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We got another clue for our quiz. Let's do it. That's right. The final clue for the quiz. I worked for the Romans. I have a lot of blood on my hands, even though I washed them of Jesus. Who am I? Zero four nine one. Yeah, that's the last. It's the last question, Lyle. Of course it's easy. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. And if you know who this is, you can go into the draw to win our Andrews Study Bible, our bonded leather version that is big and awesome and expensive. And you can get and you can read and it can change your life. 0491-064-669. I worked for the Romans. I have a lot of blood on my hands, even though I washed them of Jesus. Who am I? Okay, so we were just mentioning that a lot of historians believe that the Midianites were a lot like the Jewish people. Mm. So the Jewish people, you can become Jewish, well, you can be Jewish by birth as a nationality. You can also convert to Judaism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't convert to Chinese, Japanese, Korean. People try. All the time. Lawson just... No, not me. No, no. Not me. No, but people try and they fail. That's right. You can't yeah. convert to one of those nationalities. Mm. But, Lawson, if you wanted to, you could convert and become Jewish. I could. I don't want to, but... That's I, right. I could. Because you're a Christian, praise God. Uh-huh. And so a lot of people have looked at the Midianites and they've gone, okay, these were Ishmaelites who were Midianites. You've got an Ethiopian who is... Midianite, mm. then maybe Midianite was something that was obviously founded by Midian, the, the son of Abraham mm. and Keturah, but then became something that is like, okay, this is my tribe, and if you want to become a part of my tribe, then you can convert to my religion and you can convert to become a Midianite as well. Okay, so if Midian is like a religion... And like, do we do we have like an so, so for instance, official statement of belief for the Midian religion, mini Midianism? Well, I'm getting to that. Uh-huh. I'm getting to that because if you think of, for instance, you know, an African can convert to Judaism, they're not going to look like a Jew. Yes, and Zipporah, you know, would not look to look like a descendant of Abraham because she was African. Mm. Uh, and the same with Ishmaelites; they're Arabians or Arabs. And so they're not going to look like Midianites either, but they come into this same category. And so, all right, we then ask the question, what was the religion of the Midianites? Now, of course, we know that during the time of the judges and even during the time of the invasion of, uh, of, of, of Palestine, they were idolatrous. Mm. However, if we go back to Midian himself, the assumption would be that, you know, like Ishmael, Midian, Isaac, these would be followers of God. Mm. And you see that coming through when you find that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, Mm. he is Ethiopian, but he is a Midianite priest of God. Mm. 
And so during the time of Moses, when he was in the wilderness at least, there was at least some Midianites who were still worshippers of God. Mm. And so the question is, okay, how did Jethro become a Midianite? Did he become a Midianite because he became a worshipper of God? Mm. So these are some interesting questions that we can kind of speculate about. We don't really know the answers. What we do know is that these guys, Ishmaelite or Midianite, they're cousins. Yeah. And so it's like so they most likely spoke a very similar language. You know, they would have been able to communicate together quite easily. Uh, they would probably spoke the same language, just with you know different dialect at this particular time. Mm. And so they would be able to communicate together, and they sell him to his cousins and his cousins don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him because they take him to Egypt and down in Egypt they turn him into silver. Yeah, that's right. They sell him again. Mm. It continues in verse 29 though. Yes. It says, Sometime later, Reuben returned to Joseph to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered Joseph was missing, he went and tore his clothes in grief. Then he went to back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. Oh, what will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in it, its blood. Uh, they sent the beautiful robe to their father with a message. Look at what we found. This it, Doesn't this belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. Then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Okay, so... uh Fascinating story. It seems that Joseph, that uh, that Jacob, mm. fell into a very deep depression as a result yeah. of this, and you can imagine what his sons are going through. Mm. This would be just unbelievably hard mm. because every one of them knows the truth, and not a single one of them are prepared to tell the truth. And whenever you've got a lie, and it's a big lie, and it's sitting on your conscience, and it's eating you. Mm. It is just like a cancerous growth that is just destroying your soul day after day. Mm, I feel particularly sorry for Reuben, you know. He tried to save the dude. Yeah, he tried to do the right thing. So he mustn't have been complicit in the selling of Joseph. No, he wasn't there he, when he, that happened. He suggested that they, oh, let's just chuck him in the system and leave. And then he, you know, must take. He, he must. Have, when he came back and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he must have freaked out. Yeah, he he probably because they're all working in Dothan at that time. Yes, and so was, he probably went back to the field. And then, but yeah, he is like, dude, he would have freaked out big time. Yes, that would have been tough. It would have, and and then of course he has to go along with the lie because what's he going to say? Is he going to dob in on his brothers? Mm. He's, he's caught between a rock and a hard place here. Now, of course, the right thing to do would have been to just go back and say, it would get the brothers together and say, we're going to go back and we're going to tell the truth. Mm. And then once we've told the truth, we're going to go down to Egypt, find the guy, buy him back and bring him back. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll do the right thing here. And that would have been the right thing to do, but he doesn't. Mm. He becomes an accomplice to their crime and an accomplice after the fact in that he just 
hides it over, and I don't think any of them expected the level of depression that Jacob would fall into as a result of losing his son Joseph. Mm. Yeah, a statement like, I'll go to my grave mourning my son. Yeah, this is somebody who is deeply depressed. Mm. You know, when somebody just refuses to be comforted, refuses to even think beyond the tragedy that they have experienced, this is deep depression. Mm. And it probably lasted for years. And, you know, as they're seeing their father going through this for years, it would have just weighed on their conscience. Mm. It would have been a burden for them to carry. So Joseph is sold to Potiphar. He's an officer of Pharaoh's, a captain of the guard. Now, this is what's interesting about ancient armies. At this time in the world's history, there was not really any such thing as a standing army. Mm-hmm. A king, a ruler would have a private guard and then there would be the population. And so when he wanted to raise his army, he would raise the population. Every male between this age and this age, bring your sword, we're going to go and fight. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have these massive armies that would fight like, you know, for the most part, mobs. Mm. And uh, someone would win at the end of it and there wasn't, you didn't have these standing armies of trained warriors until you come down to pretty much the time of the Assyrians. Yeah. But you do have these small personal security details, and these guys were serious warriors. Mm. I mean, they were fighters. And Potiphar, he's at the top of the list. Yeah. He's not someone you want to mess with. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We had a text message that came through that I didn't get a chance to look at before, but it was a really good one, so I'm going to read it out here. It says, While I agree with the character of Joseph leaving much to be desired, Jacob was at fault. He is the one who spoils him, treats him differently to the other sons, and doesn't allow him to work with his brothers. All this causes his brothers to hate him. It is God who gives him the dreams and allows him to be sold as a slave, blessing him at Potiphar's house. Oh, we're getting ahead of the story. Then testing him and allows him to go to jail. All this was part of God's training for him to save the world. God's amazing grace. Mm. Oh, stay tuned for tomorrow. It gets better. Mm. Awesome. I'll just quickly run through some of the answers for the quiz today. They were the first question. The answer was Hezekiah. Secondly, it was Antioch. Third was Naaman. Fourth was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And finally, it was Pilate. But right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is, in Psalms 120, where is Meshach? 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 And why is uh, why is it low to live there? What are the tents of Kedar? Yeah, good question right here. So these are two actually quite different places um, that are mentioned here in the Bible. So you go to Psalms uh, chapter 120, you're going to start reading in verse 4, you know, sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I am sojourning or passing through or staying for a while in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul has long dwelt with him that hates peace. And so, yeah, interesting here, you sort of get some clues here that, you know, the psalmist at this particular point, you know, he's not so keen on being, you know, exiled or living in somewhere like Meshech or living with, you know, people in the tents of Kedar because these are not people who appreciate peace. 
Okay, so whereabouts is this? Uh, we don't exactly know. But we've got some really good ideas uh, from history. So Josephus, for instance, uh, claimed that Meshech was one of the provinces of Gog and Magog. Now, of course, we know that Gog and Magog was an area in Turkey and also up around the Black Sea region. We do not know the uh, boundaries of this particular area, but the Armenians and the Georgians to this day, which inhabit that particular region of the world, have a tradition that... They are descendants from Meshech and also uh, the region down around Cappadocia. So what you're looking at basically is eastern Turkey and the eastern shores of the Black Sea is the area. And, and of course, the western shore of the Caspian Sea is the region in which we, you, the general region where you're going to find Meshech. Its boundaries these days we really don't know. Now, of course, Kedar... Uh, on the other hand, this is North Arabia. These people were Arabians, and this is why the Bible speaks about them living in tents. They were uh, Bedouin-style Arabians. They were nomadic Arabians who lived in uh, the deserts of Arabia and lived in tents. And so why is it that the psalmist in this particular case doesn't want to be in these particular locations? Well, it seems like those who lived in you know, the, the, the tents of Kedar were not peaceful people. These were raiders it seems, and he wants to be at peace and they are not peaceful people. Why doesn't he want to live in Meshech? Well, he just sees them, sees them as being lower and at the end of the day, both of these people are seen as being far from God. So throughout the Bible, uh, you're going to find a few different places where they are mentioned, uh, particularly in relationship to Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog in the Bible become a symbol of all that is rebellious against God. And so very clearly we have this indication that whoever these people were and wherever they lived, they were in very, very open rebellion against God because God, God uses them as a symbol of all of the evil in the whole world at the end of time after the millennium. Describes everyone who is a follower of Satan as being Gog and Magog. So they were very, very intensely evil people at this time. The psalmist really doesn't want to have anything to do with them, and you can understand why. Don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.